Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's April 21st. 1918, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Ariel, Rebecca, and Ollie, the Retrospectors. It was today in history in 1918 that legendary fighter pilot Manfred von Richthofen, better known as the Red Baron, made his final flight. In scenes that wouldn't be out of place at the emotional climax of an action movie, he was killed saving his cousin and fellow aviator Wolfram's life, a fittingly heroic end for a man whose prowess in the skies had made him a legend among friend and foe. I think we also really need to lead here on the Australian contribution to at least part of the <laughs> so story. I you were going to say that. <laughs> because, so what was going Going on was the Red Baron was up there being pursued by a Canadian pilot who didn't actually have very much experience. And then at a very low altitude, the Red Baron was chased away by this more seasoned Canadian pilot who dived steeply and fired at him before climbing to avoid crashing into the ground. But the Red Baron then resumed his pursuit of this other sort of more green Canadian pilot and then started facing concentrated fire, importantly, from the Australian troops on the ground. And he then made this rough landing in a field. And the Canadian took the credit for decades and you're still angry about it. If it hadn't been for those sharpshooting Aussies, he might still be up there taking pot shots at the lot of us. (laughs) Well, Citation needed. (laughs) What we we do know is that he was struck in the torso by a bullet. So we don't know. We still don't know, genuinely. And you can't know whether that came from above or below. Sure, you don't know, mate. Uh, But he did... uh, (laughs) uh, But he did die after crash landing in a beetroot field in Vosasome, which you would think would be a bit of a damp squib of an ending for this German fighter Mm. ace. Like, you know, this hero, weirdly, not only for Germany, but in a strange kind of perverse way for the Allied forces as well. I mean, it would have been a real badge of honour to bring him down, I guess. So even though his reign would have been a reign of terror, killing 80 people in the skies at the same time, like, you can imagine, can't you? If you're in the RAF, this is the guy you want to be in a fight with, weirdly. Mm. Um, But you would think it would be a kind of unglamorous end and yet not really like he he's his name the red baron is still one that people know and we should explain why that is so he is genuinely a baron by birth right he's an aristocrat and he's called the red baron because he painted his plane bright red yeah, and I think that actually boils down what his appeal was to what should have been you know his enemies in the in the UK and beyond is that it was a way to cling on to the idea of war as being something that was kind of colourful and adventurous and fun, which, you know, by this time, 1918, World War I had really shown the reality of war and how grim it was. And I think just the idea that there was this guy, you know, airplane technology was still quite new and he was up there sort of flying back and forth, dodging, ducking, diving in this brightly coloured plane. It did bring a bit of romanticism mm. that was desperately needed. And I think even the British side could kind of see the appeal in that, even though it was their planes he was firing on. And also, he didn't fight dirty, Mm. was the suggestion, right? So there was, like, almost... I mean, it's funny, the amount of times we've talked about the history of, like, chivalry in battle. It almost takes you back to some of these medieval battles that we've described, the way that people talked about him as representing some higher 
echelon of yeah. war. Nothing down and dirty like the trenches, but some codified gentleman's yeah, sport. Yeah, they were kind of the knights of the skies, I suppose, in that time. And it, he had been born into an aristocratic Prussian family and educated at a bunch of military schools and academies. And he was always a really excellent athlete and horseman and in uh, the beginning of the First World War served on both the Western and Eastern Fronts as a cavalry officer. And he got the Iron Cross for his courage under fire. He was a very good uh, cavalry officer, but he grew restless after his unit was consigned to supply duty in the trenches. And the thing that he said when he wanted to transfer to being a pilot was he said he hadn't joined the military to collect cheese and eggs. Yeah, I mean, it goes back to what you were saying about knights of the air. You know, the cavalry traditionally would be where these heroic charges Mm. were taking place. And the cavalry just wasn't compatible with trench warfare. It's easy to Mm. see how the Air Corps could seem like the closest modern Mm. equivalent. So in 1915, he transferred. He scored his first official victory in September 1916, downing an RAF plane over Cambrai. And he marked the occasion by having a silver cup engraved with the date and the type of plane. He ultimately got to 60 cups. When he started this (laughs) hobby, he probably didn't realise how many cups he was going to need. He got to 60 and then he was forced to stop because it was the middle of the war and there were silver shortages. (laughs) And they said, well, why don't you make it out of something cheaper? And he was like, no, I'll just stop (laughs) if they can't be silver. He was um, already labelled as an ace after five kills, though, which I didn't know. Did you know that? I've always just heard the phrase ace and sort of thought it was a bit of boy's own Mm. terminology. I didn't realise that ace actually relates to a number. When you kill five, that's the conventional number by which you become an ace. So that tells you, you know, to get from five to Mm. 80, how good he was at this. And in June 1917, he was put in command of a wing, which was four squadrons of fighter pilots, and they became nicknamed the Flying Circus due to their bright colouring and the fact that they had this, you know, moving HQ. They had tents and things that would follow them on the ground so they could set up wherever, and it was being, you know, and it was sort of compared to a circus tent. But I didn't he- know that's where no, that came from either. That. That's good. Did you? Flying circus. (laughs) And although he was associated with the Red Fokker triplane, he didn't actually fly this until pretty late in his career. He only scored 19 of his 80 victories in it. Prior to that, he flew a variety of aircraft, but he started painting the red earlier in January 1917 when he was first made a squadron commander. And the rest of the squadron, you know, they aped him. They painted red markers on their own planes. And this practice spread to other aerial units. They would adopt different colours to be, you know, their thing. And German high command apparently weren't super keen on this. It wasn't coming from the top at all. It was just something that pilots started doing and then you know you see in world war ii it's all grew into people painting cartoons and slogans Mm. on their planes and even now national air forces have their you know brightly colored insignia but that's ballsy isn't it just think about that decision you know to make your plane the most visible thing in the sky it's saying come on then if you think it's astonishing like this was an era where people knew about camouflage and you know if you ever see any world war one movie everyone is dressed like the mud you know they're all dug in and they're trying to blend with their surroundings so it's just crazy that he was up there going well here i am you know down me if you can and i suppose that also tied in with the fact that he really had by this stage become a propaganda symbol you know lavished with military decorations and featured in regular news articles articles and on postcards because he was a representation of what was great about the German war effort. And so they were willing to tolerate a certain degree of eccentricity in exchange for his value in propaganda terms. And eventually got to the point where he was such a national hero that the German high command were really nervous at the prospect of his death. You know, death rates were sky mm. high among pilots during World War One, and it would have been a huge blow to German morale. 
So they kept trying to offer him positions that would have kept him on the ground, but he politely declined all of them. That said, though, he definitely didn't have a, you know, sort of cavalier or devil-may-care attitude towards what he was doing. While he was in hospital recovering from a head injury, he wrote, I am in wretched spirits after every aerial combat. I believe that the war is not as the people at home imagine it, with a hurrah and a roar. It is very serious, very grim. Yeah, but he still got back in the plane, yeah. didn't he? Despite having had what we'd now understand to be post-traumatic stress disorder and frequent headaches from this point on, and an illustrious record behind him, and presumably he could have retired even though he was only 24 at that point, he carried on. So on the day of his death, he went up in the air with his cousin Wolfram and the rest of the squadron. It was Wolfram's very first mission. He had also been persuaded to transfer from the cavalry, a bit of a family affair. And Manfred, the Red Baron, instructed Wolfram to stay out of the engagement. And as he was obediently hovering above the dogfight, he caught the eye of another greenhorn doing the same thing, which was the pilot you mentioned at the start, Arian Wilfred May. He had flown his first combat mission the previous day. So he then engaged Wolfram in a battle. Manfred saw this, raced to his cousin's aid in the iconic Red Fokker triplane. He chased off May, who later recalled, I noticed it was a red triplane, but if I realised it was Richthofen, I probably would have passed out on the spot. (laughs) (laughs) Richthofen was firing at me continually. The only thing that saved me was my poor flying. I didn't know what I was doing myself, and I do not suppose that Richthofen could figure out what I was going to do. It must be so Mm. weird to encounter someone who is simultaneously a huge celebrity and also like an enemy who's trying to kill you, you know? So it's on the one hand, you, yeah. you're hugely awed by them, but in, on the other hand, you do want to stop them. <laughs> oh, you really want to kill yeah, me? Yeah, that's so kind. <laughs> I'm such a fan of how you put that I believe he noticed yeah. me. <laughs> but something of that is captured by the Australian uh, squadron who then buried him with all the pomp and ceremony of a war hero. You know, they recognised something in him, and I suppose it is that thing that we were talking about yeah. at the top, the chivalry of what the greatest pilots represented and consequently they gave him a proper send-off. And it's amazing that people still do know the phrase Red Baron even if they don't know why and they're not sure who he was. In 1982, extraordinarily, there was a musical on Broadway by Des McAnuff. The title, Von Richthofen, screams hit to me. Um, Why would you call it that when his nickname was already the perfect title? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Unfortunately, there's not much of the uh, score that you can still hear online, but there is this from Frank Rich's review in the New York Times, quote, We see Von Richthofen's vintage plane glide across the sky. We watch his 80th victim float 7,000 feet into his grave. We can almost taste the mud of the blood and rain-soaked no man's land. But ultimately, the show fails because there are too few Australians in it. (laughs) (laughs) And so another week of retrospecting ends. But next week begins a day early at Club Retrospectors. Join us now to get an exclusive episode every Sunday. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Part of the ACAST Creator Network.